Um, well, yeah, as, as Tim said, it has been a short run-up to today. Um, I was just sharing in the break, though, but I'm more thankful to my wife than anyone for putting up with me over the last few days preparing this sermon. Um, so please don't thank me after this sermon. Please thank my wife. Um, but if the sermon's no good, that's on me. It's not on my wife. Uh, but we are going to look at Psalm 49 today, uh, as Tim said. Uh, we'll be looking at Psalm 48 to catch up next week. Um, but today we're looking at Psalm 49. Before we look at this psalm, um, I'm definitely going to need God's help as we look at it together, um, and as will all of us. So let's pray for God to help me and help us uh, understand his word correctly. So would you pray with me? Lord God, we do thank you so much for your word, um, and Lord, in particular for Psalm 49. Lord, we thank you for the lessons there are to learn in this psalm, and we ask that today we might learn those lessons ourselves. Um, God, would you... Help me as I, I speak, to speak clearly um, and to speak truthfully about your word. Um, and would us all here today, um, would we all just be uh, struck by what your word has to say to us? And would that lead us to change our lives and to trust you more? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's getting towards the end of the year, um, and for a lot of people that means it's time to start planning for next year, and part of that planning um, can often mean budgeting for the year ahead. Um, Katie and I uh, try to budget the best that we can, I don't think we're great at it, but we do try, and often we try to have a budget night uh, towards the end of the year to look at the year ahead, uh, to plan out our finances, and as we were chatting the other day about this budget night coming up and planning to have a budget night, we talked a little bit about superannuation. Um, we've just had a daughter, as many of you would know, and it feels like now's the time to really think about uh, investing in a secure future for ourselves, and we think we probably need to be more on top of our super than we are. Maybe some of you guys are really on top of your super, maybe some of you, like us, it just kind of bubbles away and I'm not really that aware of it, but we, we really want to be on top of our super. But as I started to look at superannuation online and different sites and things, you kind of start to see this sort of thing pop up. These are a few snippets from some... Uh, sites that I visited over the weekend. Um, and you see a similar theme in all of these sites, you know, looking after your future self with superannuation, securing your future, your future, your super, a brighter vision for your future, right? This is what superannuation is sold to us, isn't it? It's a security fund for the future. If you want to secure your financial future, well, you do that through your super. It kind of rhymes, it's kind of nice. And this sales pitch really works on us and it works on me especially because we long for security for our future, don't we? Especially in the West, security is a value that we hold high. That's why we are willing to give up things now, why we're willing to invest in our super so that we can have a secure future for our family, for ourselves and for our kids, right? This is why we invest in a super fund. But Psalm 49 ask the question, can money really offer us a secure future? Is wealth and property and investments really all that it cracks up to be? Well, I hope as we look at Psalm 49 today, we're going to see that maybe they're not. Maybe superannuation, maybe money isn't what it's cracked up to be, but actually... There's a more secure future for us to look forward to. 
See, Psalm 49, it points us towards a truly secure future. So let's look at Psalm 49 together. It's in your outlines if you have them with you. Hopefully, if you have a Bible or a phone app, you can open it up to Psalm 49. Now let's dive into this psalm together. The first thing that the psalmist does, uh, as we heard Tim explain, this is a, uh, for the director of music of the Sons of Korah. We've looked at a lot of these Sons of Korah psalms over the last few weeks. Now I'm going to say psalmist a lot. And... That's because this is a sermon on the Psalms, and if you don't know what a psalmist is, a psalmist is just someone who writes a psalm, right? We don't really know who wrote this. It was one of the sons of Korah, so we just refer to them as the psalmist, right? So hopefully if you hear that, you now know what that means. So the first thing this psalmist does is he calls all of the people in the world to listen to him, to listen to the wise words of this psalm. If you look at verses 1 to 3... We read this, Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. Now back in Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the book of Psalms, and many think that was the introduction to this book, the wise person, the blessed person, is the one who meditates on God's law. And here we have the same word, don't we? Meditation. This is the meditation of this psalmist's heart. These words are not just off the cuff, just maybe a, a good idea that he came up with one day. No, this is the result of a life of meditating on God's word, on God's law, looking at the world around us and trying to make sense of it. But if you notice in verse 4, there's also something a bit different about this psalm. If you look at verse 4, He says, I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. See, he says that in this psalm, he is going to expound a riddle or a proverb. And now what makes something a riddle? I'm going to give you an example and we'll work it out together. What can run but never walk? Has a mouth but never talks? Has a head but never weeps? has a bed, but never sleeps. Anyone know the answer? A river. A river, right? See, a riddle or a proverb, it's kind of a, a catchy little saying or story that isn't immediate, immediately obvious, is it? kind of sounds a bit strange, but if you know the answer, well, then you understand the whole thing. See, if you knew the answer, that all made sense, but if you didn't, it was a bit perplexing. So Psalm 49, in some ways, is a bit of a riddle. There's something a bit not immediately obvious about this psalm. But as we look at it and as we understand the answer, things become clear. So let's look at Psalm 49 and what the psalmist has to say about this riddle he has for us. Now, all throughout the psalms, the wicked are a very common character in the psalms, right? The wicked are often often depicted... In different ways, sometimes they are sinners, sometimes they are the evildoers, they are the people who are against God and against his people. And so often, the Psalms are written from a place of fear. But the Psalms are often written by the Psalmist, who is in a place of fear, where these wicked people, these enemies are surrounding them, and they are fearful, and they cry out to God in the Psalms for protection. But Psalm 49 is different. 
Look at what the psalmist says in verses 5 and 6. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? Who are the wicked people? Well, it's those who are rich, who are wealthy, who are boasting in their riches. But the psalmist isn't afraid of them. He doesn't say, I am terrified by these days. Help me, God. He says, no, why should I fear? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? It's like he's saying, I don't fear. Why should I fear when these people are around me? This psalmist is confident even though he is surrounded by wickedness. And we see this also back in verse 4. You might have noticed there that this is a psalm that is to the harp. He says, with the harp, I will expound my riddle. See, a harp was quite a joyous instrument and often accompanied joyous, rejoicing sort of songs. This isn't a psalm of fear, it's a psalm of joy. But how can a psalmist, this psalmist, be so joyful when he's surrounded by such wickedness? Well, he knows something that those around him don't. And as we said, these wicked people are those who trust in their wealth, who boast in their great riches. But the psalmist knows that they have a false sense of security. That what they boast in is not really worth boasting in at all. And how does he know that? Well, because death gets everyone in the end. See, as we read on in the psalm, death is kind of all over it. Death is really the, fo- the center point of this psalm, the central focus of the psalm. We'll just read a few of the verses following on from verse 6 and verse 7. He says, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, but the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for the endless generations. Though they had named lands after themselves, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve of their sayings. So the psalmist knows, well, death gets everyone in the end, doesn't it? No matter how much money you have, you can't protect yourself from death. And this was true back then when the psalmist was writing this psalm, and it's true today, isn't it? See, there are many things in this world that money can protect us from. You could buy a a state-of-the-art security system to stop people robbing your house. Um, Famous people will pay uh, bodyguards to protect them when they're in a crowd of people. You can even pay bail to protect yourself from being locked up overnight. But death, death is not something you can bail yourself out of, the psalmist says. And you can't bail out anyone else either. Death is inescapable. This psalm has got a real Ecclesiastes vibe, doesn't it? If you were with us a few weeks ago, we went through Ecclesiastes. See, this this is a psalm of joy. But it's a psalm of joy in the midst of enemies... And in the face of death. So that's the riddle of this psalm, isn't it? How can someone have joy 
in the midst of all these enemies and wickedness and in the face of death. How can that be so? Well, it may not seem immediately obvious to us, but as we work it out, the answer does become clear. See, we get the answer in verses 14 to 15. Now, I know Tim said the answer isn't in this psalm, but I think if you dig enough, you can see it. Look at verses 14 to 15. Here in these verses, we get kind of a focal point of the psalm. You would have heard, as Matt read it out so well earlier, that there's a Hebrew word, salah, in here. Now, we don't fully understand what that word means. That's why we just translate it as it is, salah. People think maybe it's a musical term or a word that means a break or something. But in some way, this word kind of sections off these two verses. Right? You have all of, the, all of the psalm, and then you have these two bracketed by the word salah. So... There seems to be a focus on these verses in this psalm. And in this psalm, in these verses, it depicts the destiny of those who trust in their wealth and those who trust in God. Let's read verses 14 to 15 together. It says, They, those who trust in their wealth, they are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. Pretty dark picture, isn't it? Like it, you almost can picture the grim reaper as their shepherd, can't you? There's, there's death, and he's leading these sheep to die. But the psalmist says, the upright, they will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. See, in in verses 14 and 15, we get the essence of the answer to this riddle in this psalm. See, how how can you be joyous even though there's enemies around you and there's and there's people that are boasting? How can you be be joyous in this in this psalm? Well, it's by trusting in God for deliverance, isn't it? See, those who trust in their wealth are not actually secure. Their future, here it says, is death. doesn't matter how much they earned. doesn't matter how wealthy they are, how prosperous they were. Their shepherd is death. But, it says twice, but the upright will prevail over them. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. See, there's two very different destinations here, isn't there? It's the destination of those who trust in their wealth. And there's the destination of those who trust in God, who have hope in God. And what is that hope based on? Well, back in verses 7 and 9, we have the problem that's presented in this psalm, don't we? It's quite a famous passage of Scripture. We'll read it again. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and never see decay. See, that is the problem, isn't it? Death is the destiny for all and no one can pay their way out of it. You can't bail your way out of death. But in verses 14 and 15, we get the solution to that problem. 
but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to be with himself. So the psalmist is right in saying that no one can redeem themselves from the dead. The price is too high. But God. But God can redeem you from death, the psalmist says. That's how this psalmist can write a psalm of joy in the midst of enemies and in the face of death because he trusts in God. Not in his riches, not in the security of his wealth, but in God. And this is where we, as Christians, we see the answer to this riddle, don't we? How can we be joyful, surrounded by enemies who boast, and in the face of death? Well, the answer is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is always the answer. By trusting in Jesus the one who can pay for your sins and save you from death, you can be joyful. See, God has paid a price that we could never afford to pay for ourselves. And that is the truly secure future that this psalm points us to. And that is the only truly secure future that there is. Trusting in Jesus. And how should we respond to this? Well, the application of this psalm kind of comes in from verse 16 and onwards. See, what was once a message to himself, why should I fear, in verse 16 turns into a message to the whole world. Look at verse 16. He now speaks out to everyone listening, do not be overawed when others grow rich. When the splendor of their houses increased, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will not join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. So the psalmist says, Why should I fear? And then here he says, you, people, the world, people of God, do not be overawed, do not be overcome, do not be fearful when you look around and see that everyone else seems to be prospering, everyone else seems to be secure, but I'm not. Because when other people boast about their riches, when they seem to be so secure, well, we know the answer, don't we? They're not truly secure. See, if you put your trust in a superannuation fund, if you put your trust in how much money you have, it's a false security. But that's hard because there are so many things for us to worry about in our world, isn't there? There's interest rates that are rising constantly. The cost of living is just going up and up. Houses are skyrocketing. But this psalm says, don't fear that stuff. There's no point fearing something that's not truly a secure thing to, to put your hope in. No, instead, fear God. Fear the one who can actually do something about the fact that we're all going to die. 
And this God that we fear is not only just an all-consuming fire to be fearful of. No, what does Psalm 46 teach us? Well, God, he is our refuge and our strength. And what does it say? Therefore, we shouldn't fear. See, we have a place to go that is secure. And we have a future that is secure for us, won by Jesus. So Psalm 49 says, do not fear. Do not be overawed by all of the things around you that make you feel insecure. You're not insecure. If you trust in Jesus, nothing can take away your future inheritance. So this psalm reminds us to to put our trust in Jesus because he is the one true hope. And it tells us not to fear the insecurities of this world. This psalm also poses to us the question, well then what future are you going to invest in? Now if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, what future are you investing in? Maybe it's riches, maybe it's making more money, maybe it's trying to achieve prosperity in this life, but truly what future is that investing in? One day... Like all the rich people before, you'll die and your riches will go to someone else. Is that a future worth investing in? Or is putting your trust in Jesus, is putting your trust in someone who has already paid the debt for you a greater future to invest in? And if you've already done that, if you've already put your future in Jesus, well, I'm very glad for you. But how are you planning for that future? See, we can spend heaps of time planning for our financial secure future, can't we? We can have a budget night. We can research the best super to invest in. We can look at the housing market and know which houses to buy at the right time. But do we spend the same amount of time investing in our truly secure future? Do you take time to plan your investments for the kingdom of God? See, that's the future that is never going to perish. That's the truly secure future that this psalm points us to. So I want to leave you with a challenge tonight. I want to challenge you to plan to have a budget night with God. Now, what does that look like? Well, I want you to set aside some time to think about what God has given you now and how you can invest that for the future. You could do that with a member of your family, with your wife or husband if you're married. You could do it by yourself or with a friend, but plan to invest well for the future. Not just with your money, but with your time, with the talents that God has given you. See, as a church, we're kind of doing a bit of this at the moment. We, we had a vision dinner a few weeks ago because we want to stop and we want to take a moment to think about the future of our church, to think about the future of how God would build his kingdom through us, his people. And there's lots of things at church that you can get yourself involved with. If you came to the dinner, there was a, a bookmark that you would have got with some boxes you could have checked. Maybe some of you checked those boxes, maybe some of you haven't. There's lots of things that you could think about with church that you could get involved with, but not just church. What about at home? 
What about in your family? What about with the friends that are around you? See, if, if your future is secure in Jesus, that should drastically change the way you invest now. So start investing in things that are truly valuable. Plan a budget night with God. And if you can't plan it now, plan to make a plan. When are you going to sit down for an afternoon or a night to just ask the questions, where am I at? Take stock. How am I going with God? Are there ways I can trust him more? Are there things that I could do to invest more in the future of his kingdom? In my home, with my friends, at my church? Plan a budget night with God. Because there's only one truly secure future to be found. It's not found in superannuation funds. It's not found in property or investment funds. No, it's found in the hope of the news of Jesus.